Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode 32. I'm your host, Travis Streb. Today, I've got Di Manuel on the podcast. Di is an author, a thought leader. He is a wellness coach, a lifestyle mentor, a man of many hats, and he is also getting more and more into the world of men's work. And this episode is full of a lot of great lessons and a lot of great topics. Um, but part of what makes it so great is that it's all through the lens of Dai's story. So we're talking about things like his journey from obesity to fitness as a teenager, his inner and outer work that he's done, his addiction, recovery, and relationship challenges and triumphs. And it has got me thinking a lot about how this podcast, among other objectives, also serves to help men and women and otherwise to tell their stories about gender and about masculinity. And this is the perfect episode just for that. Without further ado, let's get into episode 32 with Di Emanuel. Primarily, I've known you as someone, you know, who's been involved in the in the health and fitness community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where where did that all come from for you? Yeah, well, I I always let people know. Well, it's interesting. You may have this opinion too, right? It, because you're also you'll understand this because you're an athlete, and I imagine you've been probably athletic most of your life. Yeah, is that is that a fair yeah. assumption? Like, yeah. It. I find that a lot of people have that judgment though. Like when they meet someone that's super fit or competitive in any sort of sport, it's just, we often presume that they must have always been this way. And uh, for myself, it, it was actually a reason why I left Ontario to move to Vancouver when I was 18. You know, I graduated high school and I left. And part of that was I knew that nobody out West would know me because I didn't know anybody there. And it was a nice <laughs> way to reinvent myself because uh, I spent a good chunk of my early adult life, uh, well, I guess 18, if we say that's adult, it was actually teen years, uh, you know, from the age of nine to 14, I was morbidly obese. And wow, yeah. And, and so I, I wasn't someone that was naturally fit nor healthy. I, I, I did a lot of things that we know if you do a lot of these things, such as not moving your body, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. eating foods that are I was getting plenty of calories, but it just wasn't nutrition dense calories. Yeah. So as they say, empty calories. Uh, you know, you do that for a prolonged period of time. It, you know, you don't have to be a nutrition scientist to figure out what happens. <laughs> I put weight on. You know, I got I got really overweight and and quite unhealthy, and and that stemmed to a lot of other health complications like asthma and uh, edema. You know, like pitting edema, which is basically it's just chronic inflammation, right? And, and so there was all these health complications, but it was really the psychological and the emotional complications that were the pieces that really stuck with me most of my life, uh, like even up to 10 years ago. And occasionally I have moments where I get depressed and it's funny, but it, it's, it's like I turn back into that, 
young obese kid again. You know, it's like, it's amazing how deep rooted some of these self opinions are. And, uh, and I know, you know, this just with the nature of the work that you do, you, you, you go into those areas quite often. You you bring the shovel, the spade and you get digging and, uh, uh, it's not the most comfortable at work. Uh, and, and at age nine, you know, my, my parents separated and then eventually divorced and, you know, I've done the therapy thing. I've been with psychologists and they, they tried to give me meaning to why I may have gone into that situation. And, and so we always look for that, that triggering, triggering event that may have been the catalyst that got things started that way. And maybe, maybe it was. Whatever happened, happened, you know. And uh, at age 15, though, I made some changes. And it's, I, I laugh because I could write a book on health. Well, actually, I have written a book, but I could write another <laughs> book on health and fitness and healthy living. And it could be a couple pages, you know, and be like, move more, eat less. And and it, it's so cliche, but it, that's really what I did. Uh, but I, I just started repeating that, you know, I, I got really clear on why it was important to me. And I, I was very depressed at, at age 14. Like, uh, I, was not very social. Um, there's very little images. Thank goodness it wasn't uh, social media like we have today. Because <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. Uh, especially with just, you know, I have teen kids. You, you do as well. You know, like it's it's an interesting environment we're raising our kids in today, especially with just media. And uh, fortunately for me, you know, if there was a camera that came out, I would scurry away. I'd go find a place to be. And, and so there's not a lot there around. I've got like one image. And it's the same image I share all the time just to prove to people I was like that. <laughs> but it's like there's no other photos. There's nothing. And yeah. uh, I, I had, you know, thoughts of suicide and, and everything else uh, that usually comes with that state of unhealth, it, you know, it, it, and I hate saying it's a cliche, but it just, I say that because I, I hear it a lot, you know, and being in that space, it's, uh, you hear these excuses we lock onto and it's just really bad habits in disguise. And, and uh, it, I made some shifts. I just yeah. made some shifts. I, I got really clear on the fact that I was more afraid of not changing than the, the idea of the work I'd have to do to make the change. And th- that's boiling down to that one idea. That's really what happened. And, and so I just started to educate myself and I went to the library and my kids are just like, Whoa, dad, you went to the library. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is that about thing? It. You know, well, it's like, guys, guess what? I'm older than Google, you know, <laughs> and they can't quite wrap their mind around that. And, uh, but I remember, you know, getting books on nutrition and, my parents are really supportive. They bought me a mountain bike and uh, I started riding my bike. And my dad had one of the old yellow Walkmans and he gave it to me. And wow. I'd have one tape, okay, a cassette. One side was um, uh, tragically hip up to here. And on the other side was Allison Chains. On the old yellow uh, Sony Walkman, and what I would do is I'd get one side plan, and then as soon as it flipped over to the other side, I knew it was time to turn around and come home. And that was literally what I would do almost for an entire summer. Like I just, I was out moving my body, but, and it was really hard. I remember the first couple of days, first couple of weeks, to be honest, like it God, was yeah. super challenging. So you tell me about your cycling. I'm like, dude, I, I, I mean, I've never been that committed to cycling other than what I went through as a teen. You know, I, yeah. I just, it, it was something that was really accessible, but it was also, I didn't have to, I lived out in the country, so there was nobody around. So I yeah. didn't have any of that, uh, other baggage that comes with the, the, you know, being around people. Like I, I wasn't comfortable to go to a gym uh, at all. Like, you know, I'm worried that everyone's just judging me as soon as they see me. And, and, you know, a lot of those other preconceptions were there and limiting me. And uh, so, yeah, I, I lost a lot of that weight. And then in the fall, going back to school, um, my parents were really cool. They, they agreed to buy me a gym membership and 
there was a couple of people at the gym that made me feel very comfortable and I could ask questions and I just started going. I made it just an everyday thing. And, uh, you know, almost 18, 20 months later, I had a new lifestyle and I shed that image of who I was. And people often say, well, what kept you motivated? And I was like, well, I actually wanted a girlfriend, you know, like, yeah, was yeah it wasn't like, as deep as <laughs> no, like Travis, honestly, like that was a big driver for me. You know, at that age at 14, 15, Course, you know, man, yeah, just, I just, that, yeah, yeah like, I, I wanted a girl to want me. Like, that's really what I want. I wanted to be wanted. Also, I wanted to be social. I wanted to have more friends. I wanted to, to just be somebody different. And, yeah. uh, so I made those changes, but it was amazing. So many people. So I started having to date up, like when, dating girls that didn't know me, different spheres of influence, different circles, because everybody that was in my circle, and you know how it usually goes growing up in a small town. You've been with these kids for a long time. Yeah. I was known as the fat guy, you know, like just nice guy, but you know, not dating material. And uh, so that was a, a, light, a big lesson to me, you know, at that early age, it's just, you know, these preconceived notions we have of people, these, these labels we give them, sometimes they, they, they're hard to shake, you know, to, and some people aren't ready to ever release them. And uh, so I started hanging out with people that were older than me that accepted me into their circle. And I started dating this older girl and, you know, just life just started to form. I, and, but I never did any of that inner work. You know, I never did like, man, that's why I moved. I left Ontario. I was like, okay, peace out. I need to go somewhere. I got into late admissions at UBC, left the country, like the other side of the country. And, oh man, it, it was beautiful because I was like, nobody knows me here. I, I can be whoever I want. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I had all these insecurities, like crazy. I'd done, I'd focus so much on the exterior, not doing any of the inner stuff, you know? And, uh, and that caught up with me. It made me, I had a lot of poor decisions, let's say, uh, as I was aging. And, uh, but, you know, it's never too late to, to learn other ways of dealing with things if you're open to it. And so that sort of kickstarted that journey. So, it, sorry, to close the loop on that initial question, I didn't yeah. come from fitness naturally, but uh, going through that change myself got me really excited about fitness and healthy living and just that, that really getting into my own body and realizing that whatever I wanted to achieve physically could be done. You know, it could be done. So it gave me a lot of confidence that way. And uh, people that saw this change, even friends of my parents that saw me lose this weight and completely change, turned to this really thick guy. You know, they were asking me questions like, Hey, and, and nutrition advice. It was just super cool. Cause all of a sudden I was getting noticed yeah. and getting noticed for knowing something that it can be helpful and useful. And so I found a lot of fulfillment from helping others with these types of shifts, especially physically and nutritionally. And that's what got me into coaching, you know, and, and then eventually personal trainer and coaching other sports, always individual sports. I've never been a team sports guy because I never played team sports. You know, I was the guy that was, sorry, uh, you know, Mr. Putnam, I remember him, my grade eight Z teacher. I mean, the excuses I would give, like I, I must have only participated in like 20% of the classes, you know, like I always had oh. an excuse of why I did because I didn't want to change in front of anybody else. You yeah. know? I just, so there's always an excuse and it's weird how all these things come up, but uh, made some changes. And, and even today, like I still meet people and they just presume, oh, you, you, you know, you've always been a fit guy, you know, like you, you, you don't understand what it's like to not be healthy, you know, like instinctively, like they just, it goes both ways, these judgments and how quick we are to, to just give someone a label or, or presume things. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's how I got into fitness. And ever since then, I've, it's been a, a, a big part of my life. You know, I call it a pillar, if you will, in, in how I live. Well, yeah, I mean, it, certainly it is. I mean, you're like, a, obviously, an embodiment of, of your own journey, 
you know, I'm becoming, you know, more and more aware of like how awful that must have been mm. to have been on the other side, mm. um, uh, especially the locker room stuff or even just oh. feeling like how, yeah, I mean, my gosh, it's, it's, there are a lot of stories and I, I know, I know the trauma is unique for young women to be overweight. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also curious, like, what was it like to be, you know, a, a teenage boy and be that ostracized? Mm. And, you know, the idea of being ostracized, like that alone, it means that, well, the way I've always interpreted it is like, there's a group not wanting to include me, right? And a lot of the times, like when I really think back on it, there was invitations there to participate in social things. It, it, it was me ostracizing myself a lot of the time huh. based on just what I believe people perceive me as because that's how I was perceiving myself and uh, like not going to school dances, saying I'm sick, so I'm going to stay in, not go to a friend's house because I know there's going to be somebody else there and I'm not comfortable with that person. Like yeah. just when I replay some of the decisions made, they were often influenced based on my own perception, you know, my own issues and how I was dealing with it at the time. And, uh, you know, not really having anybody to challenge me on those either though. Like no coaching. Yeah. Right? I mean, my parents try to be supportive, but you know what it's like with their parents. Like, you know, there were so many times that they reached out a hand as an offer to help. Yeah. And I was like, no, like you're, you know, like I wasn't ready until I was ready. Like, and I wanted it. And I get that now. But, but at the time, it wasn't, you know, it was, I would get angry at them, you know, which would, I, I'd look to, to deal with that anger and some of the anxiety that I felt. And I, I found solace in playing video games and eating certain types of foods, you know, yeah. like it just, that was my escape as well as initial way of comforting myself. And uh, that, that habit would just compounded over five years time to the point where, yeah, I was, I was quite large. <laughs> and, uh, but it's also nice to know that you can make a change whenever you want. And, and I sort of started to change that, that perception from other people as I assumed a new identity. You know, I started to see myself differently. I started to act a little bit differently. But like I said, it was all surface. I, I really didn't do a lot on the internal stuff, um, which caught up with me later in my 20s and my early 30s, uh, just because I, those habits from food <laughs> went from food to, to alcohol and to drugs, you know, like I still found the comfort for dealing with a lot of the emotional stuff that I was had as a kid. And uh, I learned new ways of escaping and dealing with some of the anxiety and uh, not, not again, not a healthy way either. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and it also affected my physical health, my fitness at times. I, I was very much on a yo-yo work at times in my life. Even though I worked in the industry. You know, yeah. Also made me feel quite guilty because, you know, that we, we hear about uh, what do they call it? The um, imposter syndrome, right? Like I, I felt like I was living that a lot of the time because here I am selling people equipment and get, working as a trainer. I knew my lifestyle uh, was not really conducive to, to sustaining that, those types of results. You know, like just even feeling good about myself, feeling healthy, feeling happy. It's amazing, right? Like just human psychology. <laughs> it is, man. But I mean, it, what was the, what was the point for you where you, where the inner work just just became the thing that had to happen for you? Hmm. Well, to be honest, I guess it'd be just over ten years ago. 
that was like the last time I had a drink. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it was like January 1st, 2010, 2010. Um, I had had an all nighter. I'd been out and my wife had already gone home and I remember because we had kids at home, right? We had to relieve a babysitter and all that. But I was like, ah, oh, you just go, you know, like I was just not respectful. And I was doing my own thing by that point in the evening. I don't know. It must have been like nine o'clock at night. I was already done, you know, and I had a tendency of drinking to the point where I'd go to blackout. Yeah. I just would. Yeah. And uh, that was a habit. And um, I remember waking up that next morning. I got home somehow. I don't, I still don't remember how I've been told that there were some people that brought me home, which I, can't argue with because I don't know otherwise. Um, but uh, I remember going downstairs that that morning, and my wife was in the kitchen, you know, and she was unloading the dishes, dishwasher, and the kids were on the couch watching Dora the Explorer. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like that theme song drives me nuts. You know, it like, still Dora, does. Dora, yeah. Dora. Like <laughs> it, it, it's like one of those things you just I, I can't shake it, but it, it's so ingrained because it was like our kids' favorite show. And but I remember it being on the TV that morning, and. Uh, my wife was aggressively unloading the dishwasher. Mm, I know, you know, I know cold, the, the texture you know, of that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was um, uh, everybody. And I think neighbors knew she was unloading the dishwasher. And, <laughs> and I just, I got this look from her. I just, this glare and um, she asked me to sit down and the conversation. And, and you have to realize up to this point, there'd been many, many, many times where I had, gone asking for permission and just always just gone straight for forgiveness you know uh, begging for forgiveness a lot of the times and uh and false promises you know oh, i'll never let that happen again because i'm hungover and just i did something that i i'm deeply sorry for but you know in the moment <laughs> as soon as i get through this a couple weeks later oh you know i can barely remember that she won't remember it and, yeah. and right back into those old habits again and uh, I could tell that this morning that was very different. You know, that January 1st morning, she sat me down and uh, I'll sort of just get to the point. We had a lengthy discussion, a lot of tears shared, shed on both sides. Uh, basically got to the point that she was telling me that her and the kids couldn't be there anymore. You know, this was not an environment that was good for my kids. I was just not being that support that they needed. And I couldn't argue with it. Like there was no argument. This. And, yeah. and it really boiled down to one question. She, she simply asked me, are, are you being the type of man that you would want to marry your daughters? Whew. You know, that question, like the question for me changed everything. Yeah. You know, if I don't know what happened there, Travis, to be honest, like it was just like instantly things became clear like this path I'm on similar to that day when I was 15 and look at myself in the mirror and burst down in tears thinking about killing myself because I was morbidly obese and very unhappy. Uh, realizing that if I continue down that path, you know, of the life I was living, things weren't going to get better. They were just going to get worse, you know, or, you know, I could try to keep it the same, but why would I want to do that? You know? Uh, and the idea of death scared the crap out of me. So that's why I never committed suicide. I mean, I'm just, it scares me, the idea of death. It still is something I deal with, you know? And um, so she asked me that question and everything came clear. I was just like, my gosh, no, if a guy like me showed up on my doorstep to ask my daughters out on a date or, you know, heaven forbid, hand in marriage, I'd, I'd lose it. I'd punch him in the nose, kick him out, like be like, get the hell out of here. You know, there's just no way. Yeah. Yet I, I wasn't being that guy. 
you know? Um, so when we start thinking about role modeling, especially just not only as, as fathers, but as men, you know, a lot of what we do gets passed down generations. We know this. And uh, I think about how I was modeling, you know, pe my peers, the things I was doing. Oh man, it was crazy. Like just such a, a contrasting way of living that versus what I would always be talking about, you know, and this idea of walking the talk, right? I just never really towed that line. And uh, so it was that day. And that day I, I made a commitment to my family. I wouldn't have a drink for a year. You know, and I, I said, and if I break this, it's not, you know, it, it just wasn't even that idea of breaking it. So it wasn't even a matter of making it a conditional thing. Like it wasn't like if this and that, it was just like, there, there is no way from that. It's just me doing this to show you that I can do this. Not, not just for you, but I'm doing this for me. I want things to be better. I want to be that man that I would be happy if my daughters brought someone like me home, you know, to introduce to the family. And uh, so what started as a year, well, it's turned into over 10 now. Like it just because things changed and they're just like, I've got no desire. I don't even want to. Like, yeah. it's just, it's not even a thought. Like do, someone would ask me that. It's like, do you think you could have a drink today and be fine? I'm like, yeah. Like I, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I was someone that had a very specific conditioned response to dealing with stress and anxiety and, and just how I dealt with something was not healthy. It just wasn't conducive to being my best version. And, but I didn't know any other way to do it. You know, because it was just so easy. <laughs> like, it was well, and so it's, easy. it's, you know, so acceptable, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right there for sure. I, I even look at my company I was, I was building at the time, you know, like a lot of the staff. I was that guy that would instigate, take the staff out for dinner. Well, we had a great weekend, guys. This is awesome. Let me take you guys out for dinner. They wouldn't be ordering drinks, but I'd order a drink, but I didn't want to drink alone. So I'd order a round and then another round because this gave me permission to just do what I wanted to do, yeah. you know, and, and validate it. Be like, well, I took the guys out for a celebratory dinner, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, you look at the bill and it's like 80% of the bill was alcohol, 20% was food. You know, it's like, it yeah. doesn't take long to figure out what's going on here. And uh, so, but when I made those changes, it was wild. It didn't happen overnight, but I started getting support. And that's when I started to do a lot of the inner work, you know, based on some mentors that I had found in my life. And I also realized a lot of the people that I had as friends weren't really friends. You know, like they were friends by uh, status, I guess, uh, but not really walking the talk and, and holding me accountable to the way I was living my life, you know, and, you know, Jim Rohn talks about what are the some of the five closest relationships or whatever, however you say that, you know, but it was very true in my life, you know, like I look at the people I hung out with the most and they were all just like me, struggling yeah. with the same things, having relationships that weren't lasting, you know, were, were absent parents at times, not fully present in the moment. And just that's who I was around. That's what I acted like. And uh, so that was a big shift for me too. It was finding new association. And uh, and this is what got me started on this 10-year journey and why we're talking today. And, yeah. and everything that's spawned as of a result has been because of that one decision from that one question. That's why I, I love questions. Like it's like, you know, you're, you're a coach. You mentor a lot of people as well. Like it's, what do we do as coaches? Well, we ask a lot of questions because you never know when you're going to be asked that right question. And that one question shifts everything. It's like, it's wild, you know, there's just, and I've experienced that. And that's what gets me excited about being in the industry. You know, it's just like, oh, well, I love asking questions because you just never know when you're going to ask that right one, you know, at the right time for the right reason to help someone see things as they've never seen it before. Right. And uh, also knowing that, you know, they, they may never give you credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's okay. Totally. You know, it's like just a it's, realization that's yeah, important. 
Yeah, it, well, it is. It's like even this episode, right? Like maybe someone hears me repeating yeah. that question that I was asked and they start thinking about that and they're like, wow, that is a big question. I don't care. I, I don't want credit for it. I give my wife credit for it. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, she was the one that really, you know, always, I mean, she has a saying, you know, she's like, sure, we deserve to be the best version of ourselves for ourselves, but really who benefits the most? You know, yeah, we, I, I, I like it, but it, it was like my family deserves the best version of me. You know, and she always really put it that way. And the only reason why we never broke up, even though I had tried to break up a couple of times, just because if she wasn't in my life and the kids weren't around, I could do whatever I want. Yeah. No more judgment. I don't have to judge myself. I'm just like, it's okay. It's my life. I'll do what I want, you know? And, uh, but she wasn't willing to let that happen. Like she was fighting for it. Because she said, you know, as our kids got older, if we did go our separate ways, she wanted to be able to look them in the eyes and say that she tried to do everything in her power yeah. to keep us together and to work on it. And, uh, and I admire her for that. You know, it's that no quit attitude that she has. It's just part of her DNA. And uh, it's something I aspire to incorporate into my own. And fortunately, being together now, you know, dating for 20 years, it's like we're figuring it out. And uh, even the other day, she, she course corrects me all the time, you know, just asking me certain questions, giving me a certain energy. And I think that's the amazing thing when we find that life partner, right? It's just like, wow, they get us better than we get ourselves. It's, it's pretty cool. They should, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, especially after <laughs> after twenty years. Um, you know, it's a it's an interesting part of the story around you know the moving from the kind of the outer to the inner. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know I haven't I haven't been in you know sobriety for ten years, but I think it's been about two and a half now. But similar. Wow. I didn't it's have, big time. Um, it is. Yeah. What happened? What was there a story there? Is there a, yeah. I happened? mean, for me, it was, it was similar to you. I didn't have anyone necessarily call me out on it. It was more, the moment happened when I was uh, cleaning up after my niece's birthday party. It was like mm. a, she was turning three, I think. So it was parents <laughs> getting together on a Sunday right. afternoon. We we're in California, sunny and hot. And um, I was taking, I was clearing off the table Mm -hmm. and I grabbed a bunch of the bottles and I walked around to the recycling bin and there was a little bit of champagne left in one of the bottles and mm -hmm. I just drank it. And as I looked over to the window of the house, I saw myself in the reflection and it sounds like a cliche moment, but it was. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> no kidding, huh? And that was it. That was the last time I drank, so. Wow. Like just like that, huh? Just like yeah. Wow. I it's mean, not, I had known, I had this inkling that like, this is a thing, like I'm avoiding something by doing this, you know, and I'd at that point had enough teachers in my life and mm -hmm. been exploring, um, you know, different, different paths of being, but it was, you know, literally like a mirror moment that, mm -hmm. you know, you, it sounds like a movie, but man, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. But it's, uh, I didn't, I didn't go through, um, any kind of programming and did you go through AA or anything? Or I went to one meeting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and right away, I, 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 and I'm not saying this to be polarizing. I, I know there's some people no, like to, I well, I know, but I've, I've, I know of, I have some friends that are like, you know, on the global board with NA and, and just, mm -hmm. you know, so they're, they're very devout to the system. And, and so I'm not saying this to fight the system. I'm like, if it works for you, great. Uh, I, I had a really hard time uh, with accepting the twelve-step program. Like I just, yeah. I really struggled with it. Like this idea that I'm powerless 
uh, against this this thing you know this this disease as they call it and i just it, the disease model just didn't i there's something in me that just didn't agree with that didn't agree with it at all I, and uh like i've always been aware of my decisions like i know what i'm doing I, it's probably not the best decision i agree but i was fully aware that i was making it you know yeah. and i chose to make it i remember looking at my phone like all oh, three mixed text calls and oh, two voicemails i know who's calling me oh it's my wife but oh, i'll just turn my phone off you know i remember doing that you know so i just want to deal with it. i can keep going yeah. keep doing what i'm doing like uh, this thing wasn't making me do it. The, the beer's not holding out a gun saying, drink me. You know, <laughs> like it's not one of those Alice in Wonderland moments. It, it's, it's me choosing to live my life a certain way. And uh, so I, I had a really str a struggle with, with accepting the 12 step program. So I, I just never worked for me. Um, yeah. I tried it. And even SA, uh, a, you know, sex addicts anonymous uh, yeah. went through that as well. And I, I, like the connection that I made with some people in that program, just because of the connection with the individuals. And even though I found it again, very different, uh, but they all follow the 12 step program, you know, all these narcotics anonymous, ex addicts anonymous, you know, you know like all these, the, all the uh, AA programs are yeah. 12 step based. And, and so I just, I just found it really hard to, to accept it. So no, uh, I I've tried, um, but I just never followed through with all the steps because I, I, found it just didn't resonate with me. I didn't feel it was getting to the root cause of actually, I, I never really felt broken. I, I guess is probably the better way to put it. Like, cause it's always implying that we need to be fixed. Right. And when we have this thing that may never be fixable, but how do you live your life to avoid this thing now? You know, and it's, I just, it, it really, I found it challenging. And uh, I found that more, really it was just looking at association, working on the inputs. <laughs> and really exploring why was it that I liked these things versus the other things. Like I liked drinking rather than liking hanging out with my family. Like yeah. why, why yeah. was that? Why was I valuing this over that? There's something not right there, you know, cause I hated the feeling I had, you know, after drinking, especially the days after and yeah. the lost productivity and the, the lack of connection and just, I mean, life is not good. Shame, the shame spiral. Yeah, well, all that, right? But even just looking at everything, it just, yeah. things were, were, it was very much two steps forward, three steps back. So I was never felt like I was progressing. Um, and, and so, you know, there's the Freedom Model by St. Jude's Retreat and Baldwin Institute. They're, they're based out of New York State. And I really resonate with their message a lot. And I did some work with them a few years ago, got to understand their program. They've been around like 30, 30 plus years. Yeah. Uh, and they actually have stats and data that shows the the success rate where this is the one thing about 12 step programs. They don't publish anything like that because they actually don't track that. Yeah. They don't let it known how many people are actually successfully remain, you know, in this new way of life, this healthy way of life. Like what, you know, they talk about relapse and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, if you can't tell me, you know, the actual success of the program will, how do you know what's going to work for everybody? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, long and short of it all is uh, no 12 steps and I didn't get along. Uh, well, but I yeah, admire I mean, it. I, I I'm curious it, about you know? it. Yeah, yeah. The main reason I'm asking you about it is, is um, you know, it's the path. It's been my experience that a lot of, a lot of men kind of in the men's workspace mm. have come into that model of reconciliation of, mm. um, you know, structure and conversation and, and almost fellowship, if you will, right. around 12 step programming. Um, you know, I know a lot of, 
I know a lot of guys in, in the, in the men's groups that I'm in and, you know, they've been through it or they, you know, they, they've, they stuck with it long enough to understand, you know, some of the key components and been able to map that out in their life. Mm. Cause it is, you know, I've, I have not been through it. Um, mm. My understanding is it's a, it's a, it's a, a model that can definitely be applied to do some inner work, but it sounds like yeah. you found that at, at St. Jude's. Is that where it was? Yeah. And actually I didn't work with them. I, I worked with them only a few years ago oh, as okay. I've, I've, I've further gone a bit deeper on trying to better understand how do people look at, because in sharing my story in the last number of years, I've been sharing it more, more openly. Like it, it wasn't something I would talk about, you know, yeah. unless it came up in a conversation because I'd be at a function and people be like, oh, aren't you going to have a drink? I'm like, no, I'm not, I don't drink, you know? And they're like, well, what do you mean by that? And like, yeah. Instinctively, <laughs> you like, weirdo. Just, well, the thing is, is everybody on my kid presumes that you must be an alcoholic. Like, yeah. like it, it is, I can see it in their eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have no idea. Like it's just, but it's, it's just that point of reference, right? Someone says, oh, I don't drink. It's like, okay, you're the Mormon or, you know, maybe you're a recovering alcoholic. I, I'm like, no, I, I choose not to drink because I don't want to. I just, I have no inkling nor desire and I've done enough drinking in my life to, to cover a few lifetimes. I, I'm good, you know? And and uh, and yet I, I find it really interesting because the, the just the way the STEP program works is you, you are right. The fellowship's pretty empowering pretty powerful I, I love that and i think it's it's wonderful for people to have that outlet and have that connection but constantly being reminded that i have this issue that it's never going to go away and i have to learn to recondition and reprogram myself to live a life where i abstain you know it, it's it's fear-based let's be honest right yeah. like it's the fear of relapse the fear of going back to what i was you know it's i don't like the fear-based model and, and so when i started doing the research i came across this thing called the freedom model and it's amazing. The Baldwin Institute, it's just this nonprofit organization does all this research on addiction, you know, and, and ways around it. And uh, so they do a lot on the cognitive behavioral uh, work, you know, a lot of that and, and really just lifestyle shifts, changes, you know, it's all from a place of, of more from love versus a place of fear. Can you say more about the, the whole, you know, this idea that, that, I don't know if it's recovery even, but your journey was, was based in love as opposed to fear. Like what, what does that yeah. mean for you? Get, well, so we hear often the term core values, right? And, and you know, what, what is the things that really drive us? You know, the things that inspire as well as motivate us to, to live the life we're living or at least make some of the decisions that we make and, and the actions that follow suit. Uh, and when I, I look and got clear on what was truly important to me, and, but but there's a difference here because I think a lot of us are used to writing it down on a piece of paper. It sounds really good. You know, you go to a weekend workshop. Yeah. <laughs> you write down all these things. And then I always joke, I had a mentor of mine. He's like, yeah, so you've got this great notebook that you filled up over the weekend. You're going to take it home. It's going to go on the bookshelf. And yeah, it's gone from self-help to shelf help. You know, like this. this yeah, it's a good analogy. But, but it's great. It's always stuck with me, right? It's like, okay, well, how do I actually internalize some of these things that I'm learning? And that comes through application to be honest like you just check and check and try again and check try again you know like sort of this constant cross-referencing of, of really taking and being mindful i guess of, of our choices and our actions and actually the results that it's creating or the impact it's making and, and so really getting that kind of in in tune getting that in tune with what was going on with me uh, you know from from head to heart you know like really going from the two places and understanding that because i was more of a guy that was always up here uh <laughs> that yeah. whole idea of getting into your heart and all that, i was the guy like, forget that 
you know? Yeah. And you, actually you living and in Bali, I was, yeah, I just, I had a really hard time struggling. I guess struggle with that. And uh, I, I just never believed I was worth it. You know, if I really got down to it, like I just didn't believe I, I was worth the happiness that I was experiencing. And so I'd always figure out a way to undermine it. And uh, when you start to see those patterns, like, you know, I could be out with some guys and I could have one drink and then just go home. It, it would have been fine. I know I get home, I'd have a great experience. I could be there for my family and all that. But yet I would have another drink and then another drink. And by that point, oh, it's on, might as well go. But why was I favoring that over the other? It, it just all became about how I valued myself and, uh, you know, this idea of being enough. Like right from when I was a kid, right? Like, and it just, even when I wanted a girlfriend, like, oh, I'll never be enough to have a girlfriend. And just, oh, it's amazing how we see this theme, right? Or at least I've seen a theme in my own life. And uh, it, it always is around that thing about being enough. <laughs> and, and so when I say that place of love, it's just like really learning to love oneself. Again, it sounds almost cliche, you know, and, but uh, now at 43, I get it. But I'll tell you, it took me a long time to figure that out. This thing of love is figuring out what what is that enough piece, you uh -huh. know? Because I believe everybody is enough, and you're enough right now. And but really feeling into that, whew, that doesn't happen just like overnight. You just don't wake up one morning. Oh, I'm enough. I'm happy with everything. This is great. yeah. Well, that's I know yeah. it's 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 um it's a good point that you bring up, right? And and again, like you've you're like a transmission of it because it's easy to go and watch Brene Brown's Ted talk. Yes. Right? And, then, <laughs> and then you're like, I am, I'm enough. Yes. And you can write it in your journal. You could do lines like you're in primary school. I'm enough. I'm enough. And um, it's not enough to do that in yes. my opinion. Um, I agree. But that's kind of the, sh you know, it's, it's, I think it's important to get inspired and become aware. Right? Mm -hmm. But the critical piece that I really agree with you on is this idea that there you have to you have to act or be or I don't want to say act but take action that's consistent mm. with that so what would a yes. what would a person do who thought they were enough how would they be in the world right what mm. would they be a transmission of what would they be a stand for like all those things they seem and you know and, and like you I've filled many journals but all these things don't great i'm aware now it's kind of like i'm aware that i have thoughts and that 99 percent of them are total bullshit and yes. now what <laughs> it's true though isn't it like it is it, it, it's yeah it's funny that way and uh and sometimes i think i just do the work to keep myself busy do you know what i mean like i don't yeah. really it's like i don't even remember what i wrote in the journal I mean, why why did I even do that? Why well, did it? Because I've been conditioned to do it, but uh, not really being present for it. So then it's like, why do it anyways? You know, if I can't be fully aware of what I'm doing and and, and truly appreciate it uh, and take the lesson away from it, it's it's made me realize that that same filter I apply to a lot of areas of my life. I do things for the sake of just doing them sometimes. And, uh, and I realize this is so stupid. <laughs> well, yeah. Time, like, you know? It's like, Oh, well there's yeah. the, you know, uh, well, whoever, Hal, Hal, or I forget who was the, who was, 
Hallel Rod with the morning miracle. Good morning. Like, yeah, yeah. I actually, I think for some people, journaling works so well in the morning. Yeah. I did it for yeah. years. And then I, and then I started like doing, I think what you're describing, which is I'm, I'm working with my teacher. I'm in a workshop and I'm just like head down. Like, oh, what's he saying? What's he saying? I got to get, and never actually receiving the transmission. No. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it is, it is an important piece. I mean, it's something that, that I, I, you know, I bring to my work and certainly to my, to the men's circle. Um, mm. But I wanted, to, I actually want to talk a little bit about the, the, you know, you say you're taking on a lot and here you are taking on even more, um, you know, you're, you've launched your mentorship Mondays in Vancouver. I know you ran one in, in Bali, Indonesia for a number of years. Mm. Um, and now you've got one launching in Toronto, but like, mm. What has what spurred the impetus for you to really expand into the this kind of oh gosh I'll call it men's work but we can we'll find a different name for it but to expand sure. into this world? Yeah, I, I you know I, I think a lot of the times why we do certain things there's selfish motivations. Like I'm gonna be honest, you know, like there's a reason why I like coaching and mentoring people and helping people. Like I remember at age 17, you know, after making those that life shift and and now being perceived as someone that knew something about this stuff, you know, I knew how to get healthy and fit and stay that way and, and achieve certain results. You know, I was someone that could set his mind to something and actually make it happen. So people would naturally want to come to me with questions and, but I loved helping them with finding the answer to the question, but more importantly, how to find the results that they want. That got me really excited, made me feel really good, made me feel fulfilled. And that impetus, you know, as transmitted to other areas of my life. And even when I look at my professional career, it was a lot of that. It was all service-based. You know, I trust me, I wasn't a non-profit. Like I, I was all for-profit. <laughs> I was making money from it, but I also felt really good about helping people. You know, I, I was predominantly in retail most of my adult life, uh, selling fitness equipment solutions, you know, but it was the results that people created with the equipment that got me most excited. And, uh, but when I look back on my life, and especially the relationships I had with men, 10 years ago, I guess almost 10 and a half now, it, 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 that mirror, if you will, looking back at the image of myself and who I was at the time and who I was hanging out with, the relationships were very surface level. And it was, yeah, I could have a somewhat serious conversation, at least until we were a couple of drinks in. <laughs> and uh, it would often be in a bar setting you know, or maybe at a buddy's house in his rec room, right? Uh, having some beers. And it wasn't, never really had any depth. And outside of that, that kind of a setting, those conversations weren't happening. They just weren't. And and to be honest, like I loved my dad. Like he passed away three years ago from pancreatic cancer. So when you mentioned that oh, wow. with the charity, I was like, "Oh man, Sorry you got to share that man. with me." Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. And uh, you know, he was a young, uh, healthy guy. You know, until he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and it happened very quickly. You know, and uh, uh, pancreatic cancer, ugly, ugly cancer. It's it not, is uh... not pleasant at all. Like there's nothing about it that's. Uh, you know, no, not, not, a lot of, is, not you know? a lot of people around telling their survivor stories. No, no. Um, similar to, to um, Steve Jobs, my, my dad did go into remission at one yeah. point and then, you know, a number of months later came back with a vengeance and there, there was no turning back. And yeah. uh, you would think that coming to that end of life sequence of events and, and, and 
you know, we had the opportunity to, to go and spend quite a bit of time with him and my family for those six months leading up to that. And it was actually probably about four and a half. Uh, but you would think that certain conversations would have happened. You know, I'd be comfortable and confident to, to be able to be fully emotive, you know, and, and to just share what I was feeling and how I felt about him and just talk about some of the hard stuff. And yet I wasn't comfortable having those conversations with my dad. And after going through that, uh, it made me realize that a lot of things, because this would have been just before my 40th birthday, you know, yeah. going through this ordeal. And I was just like, wow. Or sorry, I turned 40 in November and he passed away in February. So it, I was newly 40. And, you know, at 40 years old, I really didn't know my dad. You know, I, I, it just, it was really just a very strange, almost surreal experience, but made me realize that I've got a lot of stuff to work on. And specifically how I communicate with men, it's got to be addressed. Like I want to address this because there's conversations here I wish I had and I don't get a do-over. They're never going to happen now. And I'm, I've reconciled that and I'm now doing what I do because of that missed opportunity, that inability of me to really connect with my dad. Cause he, I was, and, and I hate saying this, I'm just like my freaking dad, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, he grew up, his parents never said they loved him. You know, they just, it, it was not, my dad showed love, but not, you know, we'd be like, even on the phone call, you know, like I hardly saw him from the time I left Ontario to the time I you know saw him when he passed away. Like, Maybe a half dozen times we've seen each other over those 20 years. And we talked, you know, once every few months. It was, and, you know, at the end of the conversation, I was be like, love you, bye. You know, like that was the extent of saying that. Why? Why? Why was that so hard? You know, like, and, and so after that experience, uh, you know, my wife and I, we said, okay, well, now's the time for us to go overseas because, you know, we knew that his health wasn't the greatest. And so we wanted to keep staying in North America for travel reasons. And uh, after he passed, we're like, well, we can go overseas. And so we went to Bali um, with the plans of traveling around Southeast Asia. And then we just got stuck in Bali. <laughs> if you ever go to Bali, you'll know why. It's just like, it's really easy to get stuck in Bali. I mean, keep, worth hearing, keep hearing stuck. stories about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those crazy things. We went there for three months, you know, we're like, we'll just stay here for three months. We'll, we'll experience it and then we'll move on. And uh, well, we stayed. And uh, I met some really interesting people, but I also realized I still have this, issue even though I don't have any alcohol I don't have any drugs like there's nothing that I would usually use as a way to sometimes have those deeper conversations even though I may not remember them all the time but I could at least start to facilitate those somewhat uh, because I'd have these things that would make me feel more comfortable in the moment and all of a sudden realizing that I'm meeting some phenomenal people and I don't ever really feel like I'm getting to know anyone nor do I ever feel that they're getting to know me nor do I get to feel that I can just be honest and tell someone how I'm feeling right now, you know, like, but they're asking me, Hey, how are you doing? You know, like sincerely, you know, when someone's really asking you that, you yeah. know that they really want to know, like, Hey, are you okay? How are you doing? I, I give the stock answer. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, like switch subjects right away. Like I'm very good at that and, and just never dealing with it. Cause I never felt comfortable sharing it, especially with men. And so I uh, realized that, you know, I'd, I'd like to start to change that. Well, what better way? Is there other guys out there that might feel something similar? Might want to get together, you know, no alcohol involved, no drugs. Like just guys getting together, share a, share a meal. It literally started, we'd get together for dinner and discussion. And actually what would happen is just the theme would emerge. 
And then we'd have some conversations. One guy would only speak at a time. That way, you know, he could fully be listened to and acknowledged and heard, given the space to just say what he wants to say. We don't get that very often, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and even yeah. when someone asks us a question, a lot of times, they're, you know, we, we can tell we're looking at some people when they ask us a question, they're just waiting for their chance to, to now say something, you know, like they're just, they're there, they're waiting, they're being polite, but they really just want to say something. And uh, so, yeah, we started having these conversations and, you know, started with a few guys came out and, and just sort of spawned. Every Monday we met, every Monday, you know, we called it Mentorship Monday for a reason. Men, mentorship. Uh, uh, Mondays was the, the least encumbered night of the week. You know, it's a nice way to start the week, but it's also not very busy usually on Monday nights, you know, and uh, so that was with. And the conversations just nat naturally, as guys became committed to that space and showing up for one another, whoa, it was kind of cool because they would talk about it with other guys and they would bring these other guys. And you, I mean, you get a lot of guys that are coming there with, you know, arms crossed, like, what the hell am I doing here? What is this thing? You know, like, it's just, it's really funny. But then you would see that just break away when they just realized these are a bunch of guys just like me. <laughs> We're all the same. <laughs> We're all struggling with the same crap. And, and yet here's a space for us to talk about that and not have any fear of judgment. And uh, so now it, it's still a work in progress, but it's nice to know I'm not doing it on my own. You know, I'm, I can connect, I can relate to other guys, I can, I can be an ear for somebody and, and not look at them as competition anymore, you know, not feel threatened by them, not worried that they're going to kill me and take my wife away, you know, like whatever goes on in your mind, you know, totally. it is wild that some of the scenarios I would paint in my mind that would relate to other guys and uh, so yeah, that was what sort of was the catalyst and it's just sort of taken over because then I moved back to Vancouver and for selfish reasons, I was missing my Bali group. So yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'm back here. I want to start one up. So again, reached out to people, said, hey, you interested in doing that? Sure, I'll come check it out. And naturally, it's just progressed. You know, more and more guys are interested. We got a guy in Toronto. He's like, hey, I want to start my own. Can you help me? Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yes. no yeah you got to love yeah. that when someone's keen yeah. to get their own going. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, we got a guy in Australia. We got a guy in Thailand. You know, a guy in Paris now. Like, it's it's kind of cool. You know, it's just it's neat because we're not doing anything special. That's why I want people to know. Like, I guess it's kind of special as it, maybe it's not an everyday thing for sometimes us men. But we're just having conversations, and we're creating a space where we can just be open, and not be worried about anybody judging us for it. And. Uh, I know you have a lot of experience with this. It, for me, it was very new. <laughs> you know, like it was, it was just really new for me. And, and so I, I'm still on that high. And now it's become just part of my weekly habit. You know, it's like I, I, I want that connection. And, and some of the relationships that have formed because of these, these opportunities to have these types of conversations, like I really feel connected with some guys, you know. And uh, rather than having, hey, we should go have a beer sometime, it's like, hey, why don't you come out for Monday night? You know, we'll start there. And, uh, and it's cool. So yeah, it Anyways, is, that's know, it. it's, well, it's, it is, I mean, it, it's kind of, it's, it's funny that you say like that it's, it's unique, but it's, it shouldn't be right. Like, no, yes. Thank be, you, Travis. Yes. You know, it shouldn't yes. be this weird thing. Um, yeah. but, and, and I also, yeah, I know exactly what it feels like. And remember when you're mm. like, what, this is so weird. And like, you know, being the arms crossed guy and, and having all these judgments about guys that, you know, really just about your dad that you haven't dealt with, like yes. all these things that come up um, and, and to create a space where you can do that, 
is actually really rare. I mean, if I look back at, you know, your, you know, your earlier part of this conversation around having a lot of friends that were kind of your surface friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I was blessed in that I have a lot of friends still from high school. And so, wow, that's, all, yeah, that's really cool. I, I know. Well, I mean, I've been saying it for years and at first it was like, well, of course you do. It's only been like five years, but um, <laughs> you know, when it, now, so I've like, I, I've been able to cultivate depth, mm, but it's yes. taken in many cases, either one of them or like one of us has had to kind of jump first, mm-hmm. but it's very rare. And most of my, most of my other, you know, non men's group masculine relationships, mm-hmm. they are, they're just like, they're super surface. I don't I mean, I don't go mm-hmm. out for beers with people cause I don't drink beer, but you know, <laughs> there, there's not a lot of space where, where there's enough safety mm-hmm. and, but not so much intensity mm-hmm. that a guy can feel like, Oh, this is different. And it only right. takes a couple things. Like, I like what you said, like only one person talks at a time. Okay. Well that yeah. then changes it from being a competition about yes. who can, who can say the thing they want to say the most <laughs> versus everyone's going to get some space to be heard and to, and to, you know, hear others, mm-hmm. but we're going to put some structure to it. Well, then all of a sudden it's mm-hmm. a, like, that's, that gives guys enough safety to go. I'd come to this thing because it's one of the only times I get to talk or it's one of the only yes. times where I, I get to listen to guys properly and, you know, without the bullshit filter. That's right. Oh man. I, I love how you put that. Cause you're, you're, you're spot on, you know, and, uh, and what's most interesting is like, what I noticed for these groups, you know, these, just this Monday night gathering, it, it we'd have guys like 18 up to 70. Yeah. Like it, it was, it didn't matter about the age and, and yet you would have this guy that was in his early twenties connecting with a guy in his late sixties, but connecting like really connecting. And then to see them have conversation after or go get a bite to eat or meet up for a surf or a workout. Like it was just really neat to see that here's a space that allowed us to connect on a different level. And, and all of a sudden discover that, you know, I, I can have friends that aren't what I believe a friend is meant to be, you know, right. like just what are, you know, again, based on the constructs of how we've been raised, it often it influences how we, well, just how we live, you know, it just, it does. And, and the way I perceive friends was very different, you know, a, a few years ago than how do I perceive them now. And it, it's just, it, it's kind of neat, you know, like I, I, I've, it's really provided me with a lot of, <sighs> I, I guess it's anchoring, you know, and what I mean by that is just that I, I get more anchored into myself every time I have another Monday night experience. Like I just, I, I realize that I can push my comfort just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And and it's not, as you said, who jumps first, you know, like I, I've always noticed that. And I would often say it to guys, you know, it, 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 it did come down to who's going to share first, you know, sometimes it, it, that can change the dynamic instantly, you know, and, and by what's shared first it's i remember one evening in particular and uh you know we, we don't really talk about anybody's experiences it's sort of like fight club that way yeah. it's like whatever happens yeah. there stays there yeah but i'll just give you the general sense yeah, of yeah, the, yeah. you know context wise it's like you know we had all these like wins being celebrated which we like to we want to be able to acknowledge each other when we're doing great things in our lives because sometimes we don't get to talk about that either you know and and really be acknowledged and, and have another man say 
fucking right on, man. High five. Yeah. I'm happy for you. Like, really? And truly, you, when they say that to you, it's like, they are happy for me. You know, it's like, I don't have to be sheepish about celebrating a win. Like, and, and so we, we like that aspect of it as well. And we support that. And, and I remember this one guy came and, you know, we started with all these wins. And so this is his first impression with Mentorship Mondays. It's like, well, you guys just come around and talk about yourselves and about all the great things you're doing. Like, then, you know, one of the guys has been around for a while. He's like, listen, I got something I'd like to share right now. And he starts talking. But it was something just really deep. Like, yeah. it was something that he never shared before. And, and you know, tears and just like, I mean, the, the entire dynamic, you know, 20 guys around the table. It's like, whoa you could tell just the energy shifted so quickly, but the focus so intently on this guy sharing this story that he's never shared before, like with anybody, let alone a bunch of dudes and some of them he doesn't even know. And I remember the guy that was there, it was like after the conversation, he's like, this is one of the best nights I've ever had. You know, like he's just like, just shifted his perception so much that he's like, yeah. things don't have to be the way that I've been living it. You know, like, whoa, I, I didn't even know that this existed. And to be honest, I didn't know it existed either. You know, I, but I knew there was a want and I'd heard of other guys. I'd watched some movies and some YouTube videos and read some books and, yeah. and, uh, but never had experienced a circle or a men's circle up until that point, you know? And then after that, I, I've reached out to other people's men's circles and, and have had the opportunity to plug into those. And I've learned so much and because I learned so much about myself, you know, in the experience. And so I encourage people, it's just like, just find a group of guys that are on that wavelength and holy smoke, you can't help but see your life change. You know, and, yeah. and it is in good ways. It might be very scary. And I let people know that it's, there's a lot of fear there for sure. I remember my first men's immersive I did, you know, three day men's immersion. And uh, like, it was, I know you, you had these types of experiences too. And yeah. th th I mean, dude, it is intimidating. Like shouldn't be, but it is only because of some of the things that I brought up in me. I, I didn't think I was ready to deal with it, but clearly I was cause it came up, you know, but Going into yeah. that weekend, if I had been told ahead of time, you're going to be dealing with some of these, like, some of these memories and some of these feelings, some of these beliefs this weekend, I'd be like, I don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody would be signing up to go. Oh, no, yeah. no, man. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's oh, I think it's, yeah. it's a, you bring up a really good point around the, you know, how, how easy it is for someone to share when the conditions are, are right. Mm, and right, right. You know, I think one of the things you've done really well is create the conditions for it in a, in a, a really accessible format. One of the big challenges that mm. is there I've seen in, in getting, you know, men's groups to go and I'm, you know, I've studied different models for it and mm -hmm. talked to dozens of different guys who run groups and what they do. And some men's work is really inaccessible. Um, so, so as I, an ex well, I mean, yeah, as an yeah, example, it's like yeah. mandatory attendance. Oh, okay. So there's a trade-off between, say, having a tighter group, right? Versus like, it's just not possible for some guys to be there every Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so then you start to look around the table. Who do we have here at our group? Mm. If it's if you're if you're required to be there every Monday, mm. well, you. I mean, this is general, but you generally sure. will get guys that don't have children. Yes. <laughs> Or right. you will generally get guys who are um, potentially single, which mm -hmm. isn't good or bad. It's just you have to be aware that in making a choice to have a deeper group, you might be excluding guys because they're like, mm -hmm. I, it's just not possible. And before, obviously, when 
before coronavirus when people mm -hmm. were doing things in person. Right. Well, some people who might be traveling for work, in which case it's harder to be there. So there's that. And yes. then there's the kind of, there's like a harder nosed approach to men's group where it's like, it's, it's, it's sharper. It's mm. like kind of maybe more of like the immersive you experience. I don't, oh, I don't okay. know which one you were at, but maybe, you know, but there is sharper and, and kind of more structured and masculine, if you will, mm. in, in terms of energy. Um, and that can work really well. It's great for kind of waking guys up and, and holding them accountable, but not everyone's ready for that. And sometimes right. the entry point for another guy is actually more tenderness. And so I see that in, in my, in my opinion, you know, a group has to decide what is its, what's the purpose of this men's circle or group and who are we serving so that when we start to create norms, you, we really understand the trade-offs we're making. I mean, I've thought very hard about that with my group um, that I run. And I know you, I know you're in the middle of doing that now for your group is figuring out well, mm. what, what are, we have to have some structure. We can't just yes. run loosey goosey groups because it doesn't feel good for most guys. Yeah. Um, but how do we make it so that a guy who needs to share something tender can share something tender. Exactly. And how do we also make it a place where guys can shoot the shit sometimes and not feel like every moment has to be me bearing my soul. Right. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's a real art and a dance to it. And I'm, so you know, true it's uh it's it's really i i well, and also the people that were brain are different i don't yeah. know i mean I, I would imagine people come to mentorship mondays because they've met you and maybe that's through um, fitness lifestyle kind of work that you're doing right mm -hmm. and so there you're getting you're drawing a different group of people and i think it's really cool like i'd love to have way more guys doing men's groups and maybe it's like them, mm. you know men's group full of dudes that are super intellectual i don't know i mean like there's yeah. there's all kinds of there's all kinds of textures of of male energy that really add to a group and, and um that's why i'm i'm excited about what you're bringing oh thank you it's uh I, again like i said before I, I don't have a ton of experience with this so i've only had some pockets of of these men's experiences so i i don't have a lot of knowledge on on i guess what works versus what doesn't. It's sort That's of why you'll be so bit. good at it. That's <laughs> yeah, why right. you're, be, you're, no not, you're not creating someone else's model. You're creating this whole thing, right? You're yeah, going right. with your gut and it's, it's going to work. When you think about the industry that you came from and you know, the one that you're, that you're in, I, I see you really more holistic, but you know, when it mm -hmm. comes to the kind of fitness and, and nutrition industry, mm -hmm. like where do you see the intersection of that with, with the men's work? Well, I think they both need to be matured, you know, and that only comes with experience as well. Like what I mean by that, it's, it's going to come through time and, and more interactions, uh, yeah. but more specifically also the, the awareness as a, a world globally, we need more awareness, more understanding on, on these subjects, you know, like, even though like men have been around forever, you know, like, <laughs> right. like, but what we're talking about here is very different. Like the way we live our lives today, the way our hormones respond to things, like just even the, like our DNA, we've, we've just got millennia stuff programmed into us, right. Which yeah. we don't even really understand. And, and we're, we're trying to, um, and that's why I, I love, you know, like neuroscience and, and all this cool stuff they're learning about our brains and the fact that 
the neuroplasticity and all this stuff they're proving on. It's really neat because it's like, okay, well, I can learn new things. I can learn how to respond to things differently. I can, I can, I can grow. I can, I'm always growing if I want to be, you know, and I'm never set in my, my ways. There's always an opportunity to change. And there, there's something freeing about that idea, you know? Um, but when it comes to nutrition and fitness, like I look at nutritionary sciences, like really the whole idea of a calorie, I mean, it's, it's like a hundred years old. Like it's not that old, like and our understanding with how macronutrients and micronutrients and trace minerals and how all these things interact to, to help us do this, do life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're still figuring out new stuff all the time. So it, the, the dogmatic approach to nutrition and fitness and sort of like this uh, aspiration to have one size fits all, it just, it's completely false, you know, and and that's where I get upset at times about the industry. It's like people get so passionate about their one discipline. They think mm-hmm. that that is it. That is the solution for everybody. And I'm like, that's just not how we live. You know, it's, it's, it's just, yeah. I like all modalities. If it gets people moving. Yeah. Awesome. yeah whatever. Like, yeah. I don't care. I'm like, just get your heart rate elevated a little bit. Exercise your body in a way that it recruits the body to have a positive adaptation. You know, that's called evolution. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also really good for our health. Well, there's lots of scientific papers that cite the benefit of exercise, daily exercise, you know? And yeah, I'm not even going to attach a time to it. I don't care about the time. I just want yeah. you moving, you know, every day, every way. Yeah, I think it was the simplest way I had heard it explained at one point in time. And uh, I think that was the old juice guy. Who was the guy that used to sing on TV? I remember he was a big, my, my parents grew up listening to him. I forget the guy. I'll have to I don't know. Up, because but... The only, my what, what you're cueing me on, yeah. I, I grew up without cable TV, so I watched Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod. Oh my gosh, Body, Body Break. break. Oh that was my all. Gosh. But even what the even their flavor of what you're, t- it's the same. It's like yeah. move your body and eat lots of unprocessed foods and maybe make a bunch of them plants. I think in the next 20 years, we're going to see some really amazing things, you know, especially with the just how much information we have access to. But the fact that I think people are becoming more and more wise to crap. You know, yeah. like I think they're really starting to become very in tune and they're just like, no, that's crap. That's bullshit. You know, like, no. <laughs> and, and so I, I don't think we're there yet, um, but I think it's a skill that we're developing. And it's nice to see sites online that are, are they are trying to do their best to try to, to squash fake news as best they can and the clickbait and everything else. Uh, but it's not to a standard that I think we all would agree is, is acceptable yet, but they're working towards it, you know, and uh, all we can do is, is try to, to do the best for us in the moment. And, and if someone's trying to sell you a pill, give you instant results, ask yourself, is that really results worth getting if you can get it that easy? I mean, I, I don't know, I, everything I've achieved in my life, the harder I struggle, the more I appreciate it. I'll tell you that. And, uh, but if someone said, Hey, I'll give you this pill and you have a six pack, I'd be very tempted. I'd probably ask, well, how much, (laughs) you know? And and it's interesting, but just that piece of trying to get quick results is with the least amount of work. I mean, it's, there's something attractive to that too. There is. And it's, you know, I think just as much as in, in the health and fitness world, that's, it's there in the, you know, personal spiritual development world as well. Um, and something to watch out for. I, you know, there's no bypassing, you know, the, the long night of the soul, but, mm-hmm. but there's also really healthy ways to, to do it. Um, and I, I like the point you make about staying away from the dogma. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm, in, I'm inspired by what you're doing in the, in the world of men's work. 
because it's a different flavor. You know, it's it's not like some dark, dingy place where you know secret secretively men are meeting to plot taking over the world. It's like no, we're getting <laughs> together on Monday nights and in my apartment common area, and yeah. we have some really rich conversations, and then we go home. Um, and I think that's important because with anything we can get dogmatic and I, I, you know, myself have been guilty of that too around men's work where it's like, well, it's not deep enough. And, and um, it's like, well, it's serving a certain population of people. So mm-hmm. who it's, of course it's enough. If guys are getting around and talking about something that is not, you know, that, that's even half an inch below the surface, it's deeper than the average. That's right. So then we're, then we're, then we're, we're moving in the right direction. <laughs> So I love how you put that. It's yeah, yeah very valid. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, Hey, it's a, just keep having conversations, I guess. Right. But as long as we have that space and as long as I keep seeing guys that invite other guys, I'm like, okay, we're, we're obviously doing something right. You know, yeah. if, if a guy is willing to come to this for the first time, just based on being invited and he shows up and he stays and then he invites somebody else to come back somebody else that's never experienced it. I'm like, okay, there's clearly something here. You know, there's something that we all want. And I think we're all still looking for it, but at least we're feeling like we're getting something of value from this personally, professionally, you know, community wise, like there's just, there's, there's certain itches being itched. And, uh, and I look at my own life and I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of things getting itched that I needed to itch. And I I really wish I, you know, uh, even before, before my father passed because I know if I could have the conversation today it'd be very different from what I had with him on his deathbed three years ago you know right I just I, I know because I've thought about it I think about it you know I still speak to him but whether he hears me or not I don't care I'm talking to him <laughs> and uh but it, it, it's still very different from actually having that conversation with him in person you know? but yeah it's okay yeah I, I know that we loved each other in our own way you know I, I there's no question in my mind about that but you know, so that's my invitation to people out there. You know, like if you're, you're the, the, what's that conversation you've been putting off having? Well, yeah. Why are you putting it off? And just sit with that. Like, why am I putting this off? What is it really that's causing me this discomfort? There's something there. You know, and, and then if you can't navigate it on your own, go find someone to navigate it with you. you yeah. Know? And that's, that's what you do. That's what I do. And it's, I'm very grateful to have had those people, the therapists and the counselors and the coaches and the mentors. Like there's people out there ready to help. It's just someone's got to be willing to extend a hand and don't worry when you do it, someone will extend a hand back. And, uh, and yeah. yeah. And if you're not, if cool. you're not ready for, you know, for that level of, of commitment, then mm-hmm. you can sign up for at least a men's group to show up. Oh, Absolutely. You know, learn yeah. from a, learn from a collect, the collective wisdom of a, of a group of people that come together. Um, yes. Well, uh, listen, man, I'm, I'm so thrilled that we got to do this Me and too. that, uh, really? Um, I'm actually glad that we got delayed, you know, yeah, cool. It's given, cool. it's given me a chance to think about what I really wanted to talk to you about and get more of your story. And also, um, you know, it's given you a chance to proof out your, your concept. That's obviously a success. Right. And so, oh, and especially to, to be a model that's held its resiliency through the coronavirus and, and yeah, um, right. you know, yeah. so, so, so thank you. Uh, I mean, Thanks. I'm going to link everything up in the notes, but just in case cool. anyone's in a car or something, where should, where should they go to find you, Di? 
you know, that's the one thing, I guess my parents, they had some foresight, you know, like they, they, they knew this internet thing was going to happen and uh, they knew search engine optimization was going to happen. So they gave me a unique name and uh, it's one of those things, if you can at least type it in, even partially right, I'll show up. I'll show up. <laughs> yeah. and, and so die is D-A-I Manuel, M-E-N-U-E-L. Uh, it's just my full name. And uh, the cool thing is, is I, all the social platforms I'm active on, I have my name. Uh, even my website, diamondwell.com. Um, so just, I, I let people know, you know, like even though we've started a conversation here today, it doesn't have to end here. And, and I'm, I'm the guy on the other end. If you ever reach out to me, it's not a team. There's not a person in, in the Philippines answering you. Like it's, it's me. Uh, so please give me some grace. If I don't get back to you right away, I will get back to you, but uh, it might be a couple of days, but uh, yeah, reach out anytime. I'm happy to have a conversation. Thank you for, for allowing me the opportunity to connect with you and your audience. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you on my podcast, which kicks off uh, in a couple months. And so it's Beautiful, really cool. man. I, I can't yeah, wait to, I can't wait, I can't wait to yeah. be on there. I'll make sure, uh, I'll make sure I'm well-practiced before I show up. Um, <laughs> okay, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And um, again, I'll link everything up in the notes for anybody who, who missed, you know, dies very bland and normal name. <laughs> Thanks for being on oh, Men at Work, I man. It. I appreciate it. There we have it, episode 32 in the bag. I hope you enjoyed Dai's story. There's just a ton of richness in there. If you want to find out more about him, he's easy to find, given his unique name, DaiManuel.com. The first name is spelled D-A-I. I'll link up everything in the show notes as well for anyone who's keen on any of his work or the men's work that he's now getting involved in with Mentorship Mondays. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please go over to my website. You can leave comments on the podcast page, or better yet, you can leave me a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll talk to you in episode 33.